Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, welcome on Friday night, man. You guys love Jesus. Praise God. Listen, we're so happy to be with you this weekend. Uh, we love your pastors. Thank you for the beautiful praise and worship. And uh, we're going to have a great time in the presence of the Lord. All right. Seemed good to me tonight as we began together that we should just have a time of refreshing. You know, uh, there's so much negativity in the world right now. But aren't you glad we're a part of the kingdom of God? That's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of peace. And it's a kingdom of joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to get our joy cup full tonight and my prayer is that you'll go out with joy and you'll be led forth with peace is that all right amen i want to begin tonight with second timothy chapter four uh verses seven through eight and they'll they'll have the scriptures up here for you on the screen second timothy chapter four uh verses seven through eight the apostle paul writing and this is his testimony he said i have fought a good fight i have finished the race I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not to me only, but unto all those who love His appearing. That's such a powerful testimony, isn't it, of the Apostle Paul to know that he had come to the end of his life, his ministry on this earth, and that he had fought well. He had endured the challenges, the the adversities of life and ministry, and he had finished what God gave him to do. Uh, That's a beautiful testimony. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience or endurance. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds or become discouraged uh, in your souls." So we can see from this passage that just like the Apostle Paul, every one of us have a personal race to run, we have a course to finish, we have a divine purpose to fulfill, and I believe it would be God's divine intention that each of us, just as it was for the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ, that we finish our race, right? But not just finish it, friends, but finish it with joy. Everybody say, with joy. You know, I think everybody can face the temptation in life to grow weary uh, at some point along the journey. You know, uh, maybe get a little frustrated uh, or, or uh, uh, disappointed if things haven't gone in the particular direction that we anticipated or maybe they haven't progressed as rapidly as we had hoped they would. Uh, you know, but we realize there's resistance in life. There are difficult people to deal with at times. There are financial, relational, uh, emotional, physical challenges uh, at, at different times in life. And the Apostle Paul faced all of these. But you know, his, his response to life and his perspective in life uh, were amazingly 
positive. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, we've looked at this before. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, uh, notice Paul's comments here. He was obviously at this point uh, facing some challenging situations. And he said these words. He said, you know, we're troubled on every side. How many of you ever realized in life that sometimes trouble comes with friends? You know, not just one thing, but several things tend to converge simultaneously. I call it the devil's pile-up technique, trying to overwhelm us, you know. Paul said, we're troubled on every side, but I want you to notice his mentality. I want you to notice his attitude, yet not distressed. He said, I'm not going to allow these temporary external frustrations and challenges of the moment to rob me of my internal sense of peace and joy and confidence. Can you say amen? He went on to say perplexed. How many of you know what perplexed is by definition? Confused, right? So he said perplexed, or he simply was saying, you know, life sometimes can be a little confusing. And what he meant by that was, look, I don't always understand why every situation unfolds the way it does. I don't always understand why people behave and respond the way they do. I don't know why sister so-and-so may have passed away when we prayed so diligently for. But he said, look, just because I can't wrap my head around it all, and presently I'm looking through a mirror or a glass darkly, and my perspective and my insight is somewhat limited, just because it can be a little perplexing doesn't mean I'm going to throw in the towel, sit down, adopt this attitude of futility. Why should I even try, right? He said, no, life can be a little perplexing. What's the next word? But not in despair, right? And then he went on to say persecuted. What's the next word? But not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think some Christians need a butt revelation, right? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the part we're sitting on. I'm talking about the conjunction, but the psalmist said in Psalm 30 and verse five, he said, weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And then Psalm 34 and 19, of course, uh, uh, it says, uh, what does it say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And of course, John 16 and 33, Jesus himself said, look, in this world, this crazy, degenerative, fallen world, you're going to have some tribulation or some stuff to deal with, but do what? Be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world and I've made you an overcomer. Man, I tell you, that's some good news, isn't it? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a butt revelation. <laughs> you know, listen, when the Apostle Paul penned the words to uh, what he, you know theologians have called uh, the Epistle of Philippians or the Epistle of Joy, how many of you know that Paul was not sitting in a five-star hotel with breakfast in bed when he wrote that epistle? Historians tell us he was imprisoned in Rome. Of course, there were several places that he was imprisoned 
during his time in Rome. One was a rented house for a couple of years. Uh, but also in one portion of his imprisonment under Nero, uh, he was in what we would consider a dungeon cell, which was located just below the central palace of Rome and just above the central holding area of the sewage of the city. So, you know, at one point he would have been in what we would consider a cave, very little light, the stench of sewage all around. And it was in and out of these types of situations uh, that he penned the words in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And notice what he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Did we read that right? <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always? you got to be kidding me. One translation says, All joy be yours at all times. Always be happy in the Lord. Now, is that possible? Well, if the Word of God tells us to do it, I imagine it would be uh, uh, obtainable, wouldn't it? And 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 thinking about uh, the types of situations that the Apostle Paul was in when he wrote those words, it kind of puts things into a more clear perspective, doesn't it, for us? Realizing that our, our focus in life, our perspective in life, our response to life, and the challenges and the adversities and the oppositions that come can have tremendous impact on how we journey through this life and how we finish our race. So I think sometimes people think, you know, if, if my circumstances were perfect, if my situations were ideal, then somehow I could be happy. But you know, the reality is that our situations and circumstances, whatever they may be, in and of themselves, do not possess the power to dictate my my internal sense of peace and joy and confidence. But guess what? My perspective, my response, my focus, all of these things do. So Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, that's a wonderful scripture. But the question is, and we've looked at these principles in times past, but there are some truths in Scripture that are rudimentary, as we call them, basic foundational truths. And if you master these simple things, it will make your journey in life as a Christian much more enjoyable, right? <laughs> Praise God. Not just bearable, but enjoyable. So the question is, how do I actualize that scripture in my life? How can it become a, a living reality? Aren't you glad Paul tells us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He said, I'll tell you how you can rejoice in the Lord always and have an internal sense of peace and joy along your journey. The first key is in verse 6 and 7. Now notice what he said. This is the King James. says, be careful for nothing. Now, we've done a study in the word, uh, in the Greek, on the word nothing, and it means nothing, right? <laughs> Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your heart 
or your thoughts and your minds quiet, or uh, I'm getting another translation, uh, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul said, joy is going to be most fully realized in the life of a Christian who has learned to live their life free from care. He did not say free from responsibility. He didn't say free from the necessary diligences and activities of life. He didn't say free from opposition, resistance, and adversities at times. He said what? Free from the care of them, right? Now, the Living Bible brings it home. I'm just going to quote it to you. You've heard it, but I love it. And, and the Living Bible says, same verses, 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. Good gracious. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank Him for the answers. It goes on to say, if you and I will do this, we will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your hearts and your thoughts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And then, of course, The Amplified, so I'll say it a little louder. The Amplified version, I'm just kidding. It says, don't, (laughs) that was corny one. Don't fret, don't worry, don't have anxiety about anything. Good gracious. Don't fret, don't worry, don't have anxiety about anything. Why, Paul? Well, because those actions carry consequences they open the door to fear and then when fear enters your peace your confidence your faith your joy is impacted right your sense of well-being the word fret actually comes from the old english word fretten and it has the connotation of a bird of prey or a, a a beast of prey you know how it feeds on a carcass and it just eats little by little piece by piece That's a great picture of what fretting, worrying, and being anxious about things, that's what it does. Little by little, it begins to eat away at our sense of well-being, our sense of confidence, faith, peace, and quite naturally, it impacts our joy level. Now, how many of you know fear, and the world is full of that right now, how many of you know fear enters through the doorway of the mind? Right? Uh, Satan will come. He will attempt to paint on the canvas, so to speak, of our minds portraits of failure, portraits of defeat, portraits of the worst case scenario in our situation or our future, all with the intention of doing what? Bringing fear. And once again, once the fear enters, then it begins to eat away at our sense of peace and well-being. So everybody in church raises their hands when you read the scripture that says, don't worry. And they say, hallelujah, amen. Right? (laughs) It's easy to do that. But how many of you know what worry actually is? If you were having to define it. 
because most people are are not cognizant of what's going on up here. But worry is is actually meditating in a negative direction. See, as a Christian, we advocate meditation because the word meditation by definition means to reflect and rehearse, reflect and rehearse. So when you're meditating the scripture, what are you doing? You're reflecting upon it. You're thinking about it. You're rehearsing it in your mind, in your heart, throughout your day. That's why the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law, man. It is my meditation all the day. I'm thinking about your word. I'm rehearsing it, right? Well, worry is, is doing that same principle and operation in a negative direction. It's like if you had a hot cup of water. And a tea bag. We've looked at this example. But this is meditation. Uh, a hot cup of water and a tea bag. Now if you just dip that tea bag one time into that cup of hot water, very little of the flavor or the color of the tea is going to be absorbed. Right? What do you have to do? you got to dip it over and over. So we say as a Christian, if you have an area of need, man, maybe you've been dealing with a spirit of fear. You go to the scripture. What is it? Second Timothy 1, 7 or first. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. You go, you get your tea bag, man. And when you get up for breakfast and you're drinking your coffee, you dip that tea bag. Thank you, Lord. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound, and a well-balanced mind. Then at lunchtime on your break, you get it out again. You dip that tea bag again. Thank you, Lord. I believe it, and I declare it. You have not given me a spirit of fear. You've given me power. You've given me love. You've given me a sound and well-balanced mind. And at night before you go to bed, you read it again, and you say it again. What are we doing? We're dipping the tea bag, right? And so you... You dip it over and over till all the power that is resident within that living word of God is absorbed into the human spirit and releases the very uh, thing that it carries. Well, that's in a positive direction. Worry is implementing that same principle, but in a negative direction, constantly allowing our thoughts to reflect and rehearse on what we would call the potential uncertainties of life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay the bill? What if the kids don't turn around? What if the relationship doesn't improve? What if I fall back, man, into my past? All of these things. Are you listening? And so as we're reflecting on those things, what are we doing? We're dipping the tea bag, but we're releasing the wrong substance. Right. Instead of faith, we're releasing fear and uh, and 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 worry and agitation and frustration. So we want to be cognizant of that. So, you know, if we had to sum up Paul's theological revelation in just a, a modern phrase, it would simply be don't worry, be happy. Right. Come on. Somebody say, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Amen. Whoa. 
<clears throat> and you know what? And I told you we we're going to get our joy cup full. I'm just giving you something to take home with you. Because on Monday, when everything breaks loose, you got to remember the principles behind the experience, right? So, you know, uh, thinking about that, that, that Paul wrote those words, rejoice in the Lord always, it amazes me that it wasn't written by a man who was a stranger to adversity. I mean, if anybody had challenges, oppositions, personally, ministerially, in life, it was the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you've ever read his personal testimony, but if you haven't, I want to read it to you in the Message Bible. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, notice what Paul said, and this is in the message. He said, you know, I have worked harder. I've been jailed more often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times by the Jews, 39 lashes. I've been beaten with Roman rods three times. I've been pummeled with rocks once. Anybody in here ever been stoned? I don't think. He said, I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in an open sea for a night and a day. Man, if I'd have been out there in that water, I'd have been walking on water. If I saw a shark's fin, anybody with me? Whoa. He said, I've had to ford rivers, or excuse me. He said, I've had hard traveling year in, year out, had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes, at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm. I've been betrayed by those that I thought were my brothers. He said, I've known drudgery, hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the the weather, and he said, and that's not the half of it. <laughs> when you throw in all the daily pressures and anxieties of the churches, and you and I think we've had a challenging 18 months. I mean, I'm not belittling people's experiences, but none of us have experienced the totality of what this man experienced, but I want you to notice his attitude, his response his perspective, Acts twenty twenty four. look what he said. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with what? With joy. And the ministry which was given to me of the Lord Jesus Christ to preach or testify the gospel of the grace of God. So basically Paul said, you know something? I have learned. Everybody say learned. I have learned to walk in joy, to walk in peace in the midst of some of the most extraordinarily difficult external circumstances you could ever imagine. How, Paul? Well, the first thing he said, and we've looked at it, I've learned to, first of all, cast my care. I've stopped carrying the weight of things. He said, look, I'm not negligent. I do what I can do. I do my part. I'm diligent in my affairs of life. But once I've done all that I can do, right, then I cast it over on the Lord. And then he said, secondly, if you want to walk in joy and peace, you're going to cast your care, right? And you're going to stop your worrying and fretting and being anxious. And then secondly, closely associated with it, he said, I have learned how to think properly. Think properly. Notice what he said in Philippians 4, 8. He said, finally, brethren, 
whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, somebody tell me the last phrase. Think on these things. Paul said, I have learned in life how to focus my attention and my thoughts properly because I've come to realize that whatever I focus my attention upon, that is what's going to have the greatest impact on my heart. And that's what exactly what you and I've got to learn to do. We've got to learn to think properly. We have to learn to harness our thought life and direct our thoughts in, in, a, in a direction that is in harmony with God's Word, with His promises, and with His perspective. How many of you know the devil wants your attention? I mean, he is always vying for our attention. Look at it. Feel it. Think about it. What's going to happen, right? Can you believe what they did, what they said, how they acted? I mean, may I have your attention, please? He's always vying for our attention because he knows our attention is directly connected to our faith, our peace, our confidence, and our joy. So as a Christian... We can't give him our attention. You gotta put up your hand in the realm of the spirit and you gotta say, devil, talk to the hand. You may, you may not have my attention, right? I learned something a long time ago, friends, and I, and I know you've probably learned it as well here. You're so well taught, but there's no way we'll ever walk in joy and peace perpetually with an undisciplined mind. An undisciplined mind, as we say, is like an undisciplined child. Unruly, no boundaries, headed for trouble. If we're going to have a, a peaceful and joyful internal state, regardless of the external, we've got to harness this, this thought life. We've got to have a disciplined mind. Now, sometimes people say to me, Brother Marty, I can't control my thoughts. Oh, really? Now, let me ask you this. If I had a helmet, and it probably won't be too long before they invent this, but if the way technology is going, but if I had a special helmet and I could put it on your head right here tonight, and while I'm preaching, all of your thoughts were projected up on that screen for everybody in the room to see, I wonder if you could control your thoughts. <laughs> I'll bet we could, right? Now, it takes a little discipline, takes a little on purpose, it takes some practice, because most people are not cognizant of what's going on up here. I mean, it just runs rampant, right? But we can control our thoughts, and if we're going to maintain in this day and time a sense of peace and joy, we're going to have to. So, Paul said, I've learned to, to focus my attention properly. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> excuse me. Paul, what do you think about? He said, well, I'm going to tell you now. Instead of allowing my mind to focus and, and, and concentrate on the negativities that surround me, all of the, the situations and circumstances that I'm facing, and instead of allowing my thoughts to focus on that, I just begin to think about the fact 
that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I begin to think about the fact, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm ready for. I'm equal to anything that comes my way through Christ who infuses his inner strength into me. I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Paul said, I just start thinking about the fact that he's made me more than a conqueror, that he always causes me to triumph through Christ Jesus, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. When I pass through the waters, he'll be with me. Through the rivers, they will not overtake me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned, neither will the flame kindle upon me. Whoa! He said, I just start thinking about the fact that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature is going to be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. Woo! He said, that's what I think about. Instead of all this other junk, when the enemy's attempting to draw my attention toward it, I harness my thought life and I begin to think on those realities. What else do you think about, Paul? He said, well, I'll tell you something else I think about, a lot about. And he wrote about it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. What did he say? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And he said, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, frighten one another with these words. Is that what it said? He said, comfort. It's supposed to be an exciting thing that we're drawing near to the coming of Christ. We see everything that's come uh, coming uh, to pass in this current age. We understand we're living in the consummation of this dispensation. We should not be alarmed. We should be comforted because that trumpet is going to sound. Gee, that angel is going to shout and we're going to be caught up. I kind of like that thing about the dead in Christ rising first. You know, both my mom and dad have passed on there in heaven, uh, but their bodies are in these jars. They wanted to be cremated. So they're on my sister's mantle. And I was just wondering, you know, if the dead in Christ rise first, you know, you wonder how much time will be in between. What if they pop out of there? And, you know, right there in the living room, hey, mom and dad, glory, Jesus is coming. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Watching I Love Lucy, and there they come out of that thing. That'd be hilarious. But anyway, praise the Lord. You know, the law of first mention there in Matthew, if you remember, just a side note, when Jesus rose from the dead, do you remember the Bible says, and the saints which also slept arose and appeared unto many in the city? So obviously there was a little bit of a, a, a time there. So it could be quite a show. I'm kind of excited about it. Praise God. Amen. But Paul said, I think a lot about the fact that this life is temporal. And he said, I'm living my life with an eternal perspective that no matter what sorrow, challenge, persecution, setback, disappointment I may encounter in this life, in reality, it is light 
and momentary in comparison to the eternal blessedness that is awaiting me on the other side. He said, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm going to see Jesus face to face and I'm going to run this race. I'm going to run it diligently, purposefully, and I'm going to let joy be a part of my journey because I know where I'm going. I got some great news for all of us tonight. If you're sitting in this room tonight and you're a Christian, guess what? This is as bad as it gets. <laughs> you need to tell yourself that, man. This is as bad as it gets for us. Amen. And because we got heaven after this. Oh, man, I tell you, I've been reading so many books on heaven. My wife said, stop reading those books. You're not going anywhere and leave me and the girls here because I get so excited. I mean, ever since I was seven years old as a Baptist boy, I used to jump up and down. I, honest, I would. I'd say, Mom and Dad, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came today seven years old? They got a little worried. Son, don't you want to live? Your life? No, man, I'm ready. I'm excited. It does what? It gives me a sense of hope. It gives me a sense of joy. It gives me, if I thought this world was all there was, whew, thank God it isn't. Amen. And Paul said, man, I'm living with that kind of perspective. Now let me give you just a little practical application, then we're going to get to the punchline. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11. Notice. Let all those who put their trust in you, or let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let them also that love your name do what? Be joyful in you. Notice, rejoice, shout for joy, be joyful. Here's another one. Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be sad in the Lord, you righteous. Gripe, complain, bellyache. Is that, oh, excuse me, that's not what it says. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Notice, be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. Let me give you one more to substantiate my case. Psalm 35, 27, let them shout for joy and, somebody tell me, be glad who favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So here we have three verses. There's multitudes, but notice what it says. Be glad, be joyful, rejoice. Now, does that sound like a suggestion? <laughs> you went to school. Be is an action verb, right? So it really is a command. So basically, God is saying, righteous ones, yes, sir, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, Heaven is your eternal home. Your future is bright in Christ. Yes, sir. Rejoice. Be glad. Be joyful. Woo! Amen. Well, if it is a commandment, guess what? It is a choice. Now, people don't like that, but it is. And more specifically, it is a matter of, as we've already mentioned, focus. 
focus? Where's our attention? Now, you can take this home with you. Every single person in this room, every one of us, from the time we open our eyes in the morning till the time we lay our head down at night, did you know that every person in this room has taking place on the inside of them what psychologists call and we refer to as internal conversation? You've probably heard the term self-talk, right? The reality is we talk to ourselves all day long. This conversation is going on. It's inaudible most often. Now, I talk out loud a lot, but it is inaudible, right? But it's going on. And, and you know, generally the idea is to direct it vertically, but people talk to themselves all day. You talk to yourself about your husband. You talk to yourself about your wife, your kids, your job, your co-workers, uh, what we have, what we don't have, what we wish we had. This internal conversation is our personal world and how we perceive it. Are you with me? And so for, for many people, unfortunately, this conversation is very negative in content. Everything that is wrong with my life, right? I mean, it's like we used to say a record playing on the inside or we could say a CD and the alarm goes off in the morning and track one begins, right? And for many people, their song sounds like this. Oh, God, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work or I wish I could go to work. I don't have a job. They don't pay me enough. I can't pay the bills. I'm so tired of this life. It's just such a drudgery. The kids, the the husband, the wife. Look at the house. It's such a mess. Nothing in my life is right. I don't have anything to wear to work. My hair looks like last year's bird's nest. Negative, negative, negative. And what people don't realize is this internal conversation is producing a mentality. And the highest form of human captivity is a wrong mentality. So this negative in conversation is producing a mindset. Then guess what? The mindset starts impacting the emotions, the joy, the peace, the confidence, the thankfulness, the appreciation, right? And then those negative emotions start impacting the physiological body with infirmity and malfunction. They're all connected. That's the way we're, we were created, right? So what we've got to do, friends, is we've got to learn to change tracks. You've got to sing a different song. Now, I know this from experience because I'm what you call, as a musician, uh, uh, my personality type is what you call melancholy perfect, right? Melancholies, uh, you know, in the natural are somewhat moody. It's up today, down tomorrow, because of the fact that you're a perfectionist and when life is perfect and your ducks are in a row and everything is in order, hallelujah, happy camper, 
That was me. But if it wasn't, man, it would steal my joy. So I'm learning. I'm communicating things that I learned in my life long ago that I had to change tracks because I I, I liked everything perfect. My shirts had to hang, you know, exactly in the closet, the the pants. I, I would vacuum, mop the garage. Nobody can cut my grass but me because it has to be perfect. You know, the shrubs, the car, everything. Right. But can I tell you something after, you know, a wife, a mother-in-law, two kids, a cat and a dog. Forget it. It's not perfect and it's not going to be perfect. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change tracks in life. I'm going to sing a different song. And I did. And I do. And guess what? It makes a world of difference when you change your internal conversation And you stop allowing yourself to rehearse all the negativities of life. So when the alarm goes off in the morning, instead of, oh God, say, whoa, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice. I am going to be glad in it. Everything I set my hand to today is going to prosper. Praise you, Lord. You say, Brother Marty, do you feel like that in the mornings all the time? No, you don't always feel joyful. But guess what? As a Christian, you have a well of salvation on the inside. And in that well uh, is joy. How do we know? Because it's a fruit of the recreated human spirit. Joy is resident. You don't always feel joyful, but this is something I've learned. And psychologists will back, back you up as well. It's as a spiritual principle is you will never be able to feel your way into acting differently. You'll never be able to feel your way into acting differently. I don't feel happy. I just feel so low. I I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like lifting my hands and praising God and shouting hallelujah. I'm real. I'm not going to put it on. I don't feel like it. Well, you're real. Real carnal. <laughs> because the Bible says, put on the garment of praise. Notice, For the spirit of heaviness. God knows action is more powerful than emotion. You'll never be able to feel your way into acting differently, but you can absolutely act your way into feeling differently because action is more powerful than emotion. That's why he said, put on the garment of praise. When you feel heaviness, put on the garment of praise and a transition or a transfer will occur, right? And that heaviness will lift and the joy that's on the inside will spring forth. It's like this sometimes what we say, your joy settles to the bottom of the glass and you got to stir it up. I'm from Georgia. We've got sweet tea in Georgia. Anybody know what sweet tea is? Do y'all have sweet tea here? Well, you know then, sweet tea is when you steep about nine, eight or nine tea bags. And then you put in a minimum, minimum of a cup of sugar. Right. And then you put it in there while the tea's hot, hot and you stir it. It dissolves beautifully. Then you add your ice and your water for your gallon of tea. But I come, I go up there to New York City and different places and I say, 
<clears throat> Could I have some sweet tea, please? They bring me a cold glass of tea with a jar of sugar or packets. Then you got to put it in there, right? And where's it go? <laughs> it goes to the bottom. And then you got to stir it up, right? Aggravating because it doesn't all stir up. But you know, that's a good principle. Sometimes your, your joy, man, it just settles to the bottom of the glass. And when it does, you've got to stir it up. And God said, hey, I got some spoons for you. Well, what are they, Lord? He said, well, now one of them we read. He said, you can shout for joy. Shout for joy. There's a shout to get it. There's a shout because you got it. Right? So sometimes when the old heaviness comes on, I just go down to the man cave. It's my basement. It's not finished. But I got all women in my house, so I do have the basement. And I'll just go down there and, man, I'll just start shouting. <laughs> Praises to God. You feel like crying, but just start shouting. <laughs> and you stir up what's on the inside. I've told you all this story, but I'm going to tell you again. Because it's funny for those of you who haven't heard it. We came in one night. I was an associate pastor at Rainbow Bible Church. We came in one night after church, my wife and I. This is before kids, and we had a little, uh, you know, just a, a little dog. But anyway, uh, we I felt this unction to pray. Immediately when I came in the door, I had a burden, and our unction, as they call it, you know, in Pentecost, we got to pray, we got to pray now. So, man, we went into the den, and we start praying in the Holy Ghost, 35, 45, 50 minutes. And all of a sudden, about an hour, we hit what you call, and you that are experiencing this, what you call a note of victory. When you've prayed something through in the Spirit, in other tongues, even though you may not know what you're praying about, you hit that note of victory, man. You might shout. You might dance. You might, you know, sing. Well, we hit that note of victory. And all of a sudden, man, I'm telling you, it hit us simultaneously. Right there in our living room, I took off dancing. I mean, I was dancing, shouting. And we had this little dog named Snickerdoodle. This was before kids. Snickerdoodle. And he was a little shih tzu. And he was just on this ottoman, minding his business. And I don't know why I did this, but I'm dancing. Woo! And all of a sudden I touch Snickerdoodle. God is my witness. I'm not, I wouldn't lie to you. That dog, when I touched him, he jumped up from the ottoman and he started running around the kitchen table. <laughs> I said, honey, look, the Holy Ghost is on that dog. Whoa, somebody say shout for joy. You can sing for joy. We've talked about these things. Get up in the morning and your joy's a little low. Just get in the shower or whatever and just start singing a happy song. Sing a song of joy. Sing a song of praise to God. You can sing, as the scripture says in Psalms, for joy. What your action begins to stir up what's on the inside. When you get off of work and you're in the car, man, put on some happy music or sing yourself a song by yourself, you know. But you can shout for joy. You can sing for joy. What are you doing? You're activating your joy. Right, because it's resident. doesn't mean you have to be bouncing off the walls all the time, but there should be a sense of joy internally and a sense of peace. And if it, it feels like it's going, the level's going down, man, you can just stir it up, right? So shout for joy, sing for joy, leap for joy. But how many of you know one of my favorite manifestations of joy is laughter? How many in this room like to laugh? Now, you know, it's an odd thing. People don't think about this. But how many of you realize God created laughter? 
That's why we have it. Is because God created laughter. It's an expression of joy. Even in Psalm chapter 2, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. I mean, God is a joyful God. We understand the awesome, holy presence of God, and we have those moments, but God is multifaceted in His person, just like He created us to be. There are those moments, and then there's times of joy and celebration. Notice in Psalm 126, uh, and tonight, you know, is, is joy. Psalm 126, notice what it says. When the Lord brought back the captivity, we were like those who dream. Now notice, then was our mouth filled with what? Laughter. And our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord's done great things for them whereof we are glad. Right? We'll just stop there. So, laughter. You know, there's something very liberating about laughter. How many of you know when you get a good belly laugh, you just feel better? Well, did you know that was God's design? How do you know, Brother Marty? Because the Bible says right here in Proverbs 17, 22, this is in the Bible. A merry heart, that's a happy heart, does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So even doctors and psychologists will tell us, even though we already know this from the scripture, that when people laugh and when they're joyful and that joy is expressed in laughter, did you know it, it actually releases certain endorphins in the body and brain that promote not only physical healing and welfare, but emotional as well? How many of you know God knew that? That's why the Bible says he anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Right? Everybody say, ha, ha, ha. ha, ha, ha. Say it again. Ha, ha, ha. ha, ha. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you the story. Some of you have heard it, but some, maybe some of you haven't. But, you know, I used to travel with a man named Kenneth Hagen. Are y'all familiar with Kenneth E. Hagen? Some of you would be, or maybe all of you. So I traveled with him the last 11 years of his life in ministry on the crusade team. We did a lot of teaching in the morning sessions, but I was primarily also the praise and worship leader. <laughs> and so in the, in the nineties, there was a real outpouring of the spirit of joy, celebration, saturation. Uh, the body of Christ had become so dry, a lot of knowledge, but not much spirit, you know. And so there was a real revival or an outpouring of that. And we did that about seven years. We called them Holy Ghost meetings. Well, in this particular meeting, uh, Brother Hagen uh, 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 he administered, I don't know, a couple of hours or so, and people were just out in the floor. I mean, they were laughing in the spirit. They were just saturated with, with the joy of the Lord. It's on national television, satellite television. 8,000 people were there, and it's being broadcast. I'm the praise and worship leader, and I'm sitting on the front row because we had to give room for uh, the people on the platform because there were so many there that year. So he looks at me at, at the close of this service. And man, you know, uh, everybody's just out. I mean, saturated. It's like, you know, pandemonium, but in a good way. And he said, uh, over the microphone, Brother Marty, do you have a song that will fit in here? Now, you got to understand, he was a prophet and a teacher. And so he always told us, now, if you sing the wrong song at the wrong time, it will kill the anointing. Now, I don't know literally, but that was the term he used. Now, 
Who wants to be responsible in front of 8,000 people on national television of killing the anointing? I didn't. So this great man of faith and power, the praise and worship leader, boldly said, No, sir. I said, no. I said, no, sir. I'm the praise and worship leader. You got a song? No, sir. Well, he said to me over the microphone, he said, in front of everybody, he said, well, you will by the time you get up here. So thank God, man, there's a lot of uh, steps going up to that platform at Raymond. So all the way up on the inside, I'm saying, Jesus, 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 give me the song, you know, please give me the song. Well, you know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Paul spoke. Well, these words started bubbling up. And it was ha, 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 he, 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 hey. Mr. Devil, get out of my way. Ha, 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 he, 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 hey, I resist you and you cannot stay. And you know, the the band came up and the singers came up and I don't know why it came out this way, but it came out like one of those old tavern drinking songs. And we started singing that song, 8,000 people, and it went, ha, 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 he, 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 hey, Mr. Devil, get out of my way, singing, ah, ha, ha, he, 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 hey, I resist you and you cannot stay. Y'all sing it with me. Oh, ah, ha, ha, he, 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 hey, Mr. Devil, get out of my way. Singing, ah, ha, ha, he, 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 hey. You might have that. I resist you and you can now sway a little bit. Oh, ah, ha, ha, he, 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 hey. Mr. Devil, get out of my way. Singing, ah, ha, ha, he, 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 hey. I resist you and you cannot stay. And you know what, guys? 8,000 people, like I said, started singing that and swaying. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, but in context, the more we sang it, the drunker we got. What? (laughs) In the spirit. I don't know if you know it or not, but God never intended for any one of us to go through this life sober. He said, now look, don't be drunk with wine now, but be filled with the Spirit. Are you with me? I mean, drunk people don't care, do they? And when you're filled with the Spirit, things just roll off your back, right? So, uh, here's what we're going to do tonight. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 and 4, notice, Ecclesiastes 3 and 4, there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Guess what tonight is? A time to laugh. Why? Because it's an expression of joy. And God wants you to leave tonight with your joy cup full. Everybody say full. Some of you have been running on empty. And it's really hard to run your race on empty. When I was a kid, you know, this will kind of tell my age, but when I was a kid, I'd be in the back of the station wagon. Mom and Dad would drive up to the gas station. Now, I don't know if y'all have a, a attendant still here or not. Some places in the U.S. is still required. But but uh, in that day, you'd, you'd drive up, roll down the window, and, and they'd stick their head out, and they'd say what? Fill it up, right? Now, why would they say fill it up? Well, because you can go a lot farther on a full tank than you can an empty one. Everybody say full. Now, is that scriptural? 
Absolutely. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Look at Acts 13 and 52. Notice the disciples were what? Filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And so what do we see right there? The Holy Spirit and joy go hand in hand. When you are filled with the Spirit, you're going to be full and filled with joy. Because joy is one of the fruit of the recreated human spirit. Here's another one. John 15 and 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you. Now watch this. And that your joy might be full. There it is again. Full. Filled. Full. Here's one more. Romans 15 and 13. Now the God of hope. What's the next word? Fill you. With what? All joy. And peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, when something is, something is full, what is it? It's saturated, isn't it? And when something's saturated, that means there's no room for anything else. It is saturated. Now, you might be here tonight and you just feel like an old dry sponge. <laughs> Get ready to get saturated. Right? Have, how many of you have got an old dry sponge? Maybe it's in the closet or out in the garage. You hadn't used it in a while. If that thing sits there long enough, it gets so hard and so dry. That's a lot of Christians, you know, sometimes. You can throw that sponge into a pail of water, and what does it do? It just sits right on top. It is so hard, so dry, it's impervious to the water. You gotta get that thing under and work with it a little bit. And as you work with it, right, then it begins to absorb the water until if you leave it in there long enough, you get saturated. You might have to work with it a little bit tonight. You might have to prime your pump a little. How do you prime your pump, brother Marty? Well, you might just have to go, ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. You got it. What? you got to prime it a little bit. It's like those old hand pumps. You pump a little bit, you know, and a little bit comes out. But you keep pumping, and you hit a gusher. And, you know, sometimes you just got to prime your pump a little bit. And if you will, the Holy Spirit will take hold together with you. I do this in my car. I do it in the basement. I do it at home. I just let the joy of the Lord rise up. I activate my joy at times. And it's a blessing. So, Ephesians 5.18, this is our last scripture. Ephesians 5.18, notice, And be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you believe the Word of God is inspired? And I believe that Paul gave that example uh, by inspiration, because think about it. He said, now, don't be drunk with wine. How does a person get drunk in the natural? We're not advocating, but we're just examining. How do they beget, uh, become drunk in the natural? They drink until their blood is saturated with the substance of alcohol. Isn't that what they do? And if they want to stay drunk, what do they do? Keep drinking. Paul said, same principle, different substance. You need to drink until. 
Because one translation says, drink deeply of the Spirit. Drink until you're saturated with the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And one way you can drink, I didn't say the only one, I said one, is in joy, in celebration. There's also praying in the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as the Scripture says. But we're going to drink deeply of the Spirit. Are you all ready? Now, let me, let, me, let me give you a little example here. I've got a video clip I'm going to show you from the 90s. Now, you'll tell, you can tell it's from the 90s because of my hairdo. You'll be able to see it's quite a, when I was younger. But we were <laughs> already getting blessed. We were in one of these meetings. Now, guys, I wasn't raised in this. I was raised Southern Baptist. I'd never been in Pentecost. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18 years old. It revolutionized my life. And then I went and, and you know, began to become familiar with some of the uh, teachings and so forth of Brother Hagin and came into these camps. But I wasn't raised like this. Nobody taught me. I was a natural drinker. I mean, just natural. And so... You know, we're in one of these meetings where the outpouring of the Spirit and joy, celebration, saturation. And and we're at the end, and Brother Hagin looks to me. I'm over there by the keyboards. He said, sing something. Well, I had been drinking of deeply of the Spirit. I was so saturated. You know, when, when Peter had to stand up on the day of Pentecost and said, look, guys, these are not drunk as you suppose. Right? Obviously, there was something going on. Are you with me? (laughs) I don't know what it was, and I'm not speculating. I'm just saying he had to clarify. But I was so uh, saturated with the Holy Ghost, I could not function. And this kind of shows you this little clip. And then, of course, I get sometimes they call it joy unspeakable. And full of glory, you get so happy, you can't even put words to it. So you might dance, you might shout. I mean, I, I, they call me the electric chicken. I don't know why, but I could dance up a storm in one little place, man. I tell you, I just love the things of the Lord, you know. And I told my girls, I said, honey, because they're 15 and 14, I said, there's nothing daddy can do about it. It's out there on YouTube forever. <laughs> Who would have thought 25 years later it was going to be out there, but it is. What? <laughs> She came in and she said, Dad, you're a meme. I said, that's all right, baby. I'm a Holy Ghost meme. Amen. But anyway, I want, uh, Brother Daryl's going to show you this video. And as we're running this video, and I want you to turn it up. Turn up the volume. Real good. I want you to start drinking. Let that same spirit saturate you. All right? Don't just observe. Participate.
they do it here. better now. Ooh. Well, just one dose of the Holy Ghost is not enough for me. Just one dose of the Holy Ghost, not enough for me. Hey, just one dose of the Holy Ghost, not enough. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Hey. Woo, come on, sing it with him. Hey, just one dose of the Holy Ghost. Brother Hagin just stood over there and looked at us, you know what I'm saying? Listen, you don't even have to have a sense of humor to laugh. Every every person has a gift of laughter. Listen, I want you to get in your mind's eye tonight. <laughs> Something you need to laugh at. I mean, the old devil, you know, people can get drunk on the cares of this life, or you can get drunk on the on the Spirit of God, and, and I mean that not in a disrespectful way, but the joy of the Lord. So I want you to get in your mind's eye something you need to laugh at tonight. I'm going to lead you in laughter. 
I don't care if it's financial, physical, relational, whatever it is. Go ahead and get ready to lose your composure. And you, <laughs> you got your own well right here. Now I got something I'm going to laugh at. You know, my wife and I, we tried to have kids for years and they said, you have unexplained infertility. Huh? What? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. We had, we tried to have kids for years. And they said you have unexplained infertility. Well, thank you very much. We don't know why. You you're you're good, she's good. So we know now it's the time of the Lord for our lives, but but you know what we did? We just laughed. Ha 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 ha. Now that's not all we did, you understand that. But we did <laughs> We did laugh. <laughs> oh Lord, but now we got these two precious little girls. Listen, Pastor said if you can't think of anything personally to laugh at you can laugh at the mandates, right? <laughs> Now I got something I want you to get in your mind's eye. I'm gonna lead you. <laughs> something that you need to laugh at. You say I'm just gonna laugh. That's right. Why? Why? Job five twenty two. At destruction and at famine thou shalt laugh. When it looks like everything's falling apart, and I understand the context of the verse, but it does have a good principle. When it looks like everything's falling apart, man, when it looks like famine, I'm not going to have enough, you know what you ought to do? Instead of just biting your fingernails and getting all full of anxiety, haul off and have yourself a good laugh. You know why? Because you know your father's going to take care of it. Devil, you're not going to steal my joy or my peace. Are you ready? Now, you got something to laugh at? Okay. You might have to prime your pump. That's all right. I'm going to lead you. I got something right now. All right. Are you ready? Don't make me laugh by myself. I will, though. One, two, three. (laughs) Oh, Lord of mercy. (laughs) I don't mean to snore it, but I can't help it. Some of you need to laugh tonight. Woo! Ha 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 ha. Ha He's a good drinker. Woo! <laughs> I love to hear other people laugh. It's contagious, you know it. Oh, glory to God. Come on, somebody say ha ha ha. He he he. Hey, you got to laugh in life. Brother Hagen used to tell us all the time, he said, he said, you'll, you'll live a lot longer and it'll be more enjoyable if you learn to laugh in life. Right? Oh, glory to God. I always like to bring my jump starters. Some people need some help sometimes. You know, the, y'all got these bulletins here or something. What is it? Or, well, but you know how they have bulletins in the Baptist church. We had bulletins. They make your announcements. You remember that? Y'all probably heard of them. But sometimes they have misprints. Like one of them said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> That's the way it is in some places. <laughs> I like this one. Said the, 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 uh, the sermon tonight, what is hell? 
come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. <laughs> I like this one. Don't, Jesus is not offended because I asked him. But he said, the sermon this morning, Jesus walks on the water. The sermon this evening, searching for Jesus. <laughs> hilarious said miss miss this being easter sunday we're going to ask mrs lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar (laughs) that's ridiculous (laughs) i'm just giving a little help there some of you whoa somebody say ha 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 he 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 hey Listen, it's all going to be all right, guys. We're on the winning side. Are you listening? You just got to laugh a little more. Keep your joy level up. Praise God. Are you ready to give me some verb? All right. I like my verb when I sing. Covers the multitude of sin. Everybody stand up in here tonight. I'm going to sing you a song. Whoo, glory to God. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord with the believers. Amen. You can go on YouTube and, and you can look that up just one dose and have yourself a little Holy Ghost time at home. Amen. Praise God. Brother, go ahead and crank that track up for me. Whoo.